All right, so we are uh, we have finished Matthew. We are moving on. Next week we will start our series through First Peter called um, Let's see, a living Let's see, dying world, living hope in a dying world, a living hope in a dying world. I've got to work on it. Still got some work to do. But today is a standalone. Today we're going to be in Ephesians 2. So if you've got your Bibles, go to the New Testament, which is the back third of your Bible. I think it's page 947 in the chair Bibles. And um, go even further past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians. And then you get into the shorter ones, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I always go General Electric, PC. So G-E-P-C. That's how I remember the order. Okay. Um, and we will, um, today's going to be a little different. Okay. So normally, uh, and actually not a lot different, but a little different because normally I will take the entire time to work through a passage. Today I'm going to do that through most of our time together. And then what I'm going to do is share with you where we are as far as what we're going to, what's next for grace. What are we doing besides the Sunday morning what we do, all right? We come together, we proclaim the gospel, we sing, we worship, we praise, we encourage, we serve. But what about the rest of the time and the rest of the year and the rest of the week? What, what are we doing there? And we're always working on that, but I want to give you some, um, some, some sense of what that is. So we're going we're gonna to tie that all together and even tie it into last week where we ended Matthew, which was with the Great Commission. But we'll get to that in a second. So let me give you a little bit of context. So Ephesians, what in the world is that? It's, it used to be a city in uh, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Um, there are ruins there still to this day of some of the city of Ephesus. I don't recommend living there. And uh, it's where it was a major city at the time, about 250,000 people, which was a lot in that day. Major trade routes went through there. Um, Temple of Artemis was there. I mean, one of the wonders of the ancient world. And just a major hub of activity, okay, pagan activity. Uh, and Paul was, was, was in and out of there over a period of different, over a period of years and planted churches, a church there. And so what he's doing here is he's writing a letter to those Christians in the city. Now he's in prison at the time. So time frame. So, so last week we, we did the, we were right after the resurrection. So we were roughly AD 30. All right. AD 30, first century. Now we're roughly A.D. 60. So fast forward 30 years, and Paul, one of the devoted followers of the Lord, is writing a letter from prison in Rome, being, being arrested and for, for sharing the gospel and, the, and all the trouble that that created, to encourage and to teach and to instruct the Christians in Ephesus, knowing that that would also eventually go to many other churches in the world. And here we are today, 2,000 years ago later reading his letter, reading his mail, if you will. Okay. So it was more, it was designed to be a circular letter. Not all the letters Paul wrote in the new Testament were written to be circulated intentionally, but they all were because they were all the ones that were considered scripture. So he's writing to Christians in Ephesus. Now, um, when we say the church of Ephesus, let me make a little help, a little help here too. It's kind of like if I said the church in Charleston, Okay. If I said the church in Charleston, you'd be confused, right? You're like, which church in Charleston? There's a lot of churches in Charleston, right? It's called the Holy City, City of Churches, whatever. And, and they don't all get along. Okay. Well, that's not actually unique. They didn't all, all get along back then either. But they called the church in Ephesus one church. Because back then, they actually behaved more in sync with one another. Not perfectly. They had their issues. 
Every city did. But they just saw there was one church globally, and each city had a local expression of that. And the local expression of that was not all gathering in one building for 300 years. They didn't do that. They met in homes all over the city. So it was really one network of churches. So when the letter would arrive in Ephesus, I don't know whose who's house church got it first. Maybe during the week they're all scratching copies down so they can share it on the, on the next Lord's Day. But that's basically how the original sermons were preached from letters. They literally are holding a copy of a letter of the Apostle Paul, and they're reading the letter to the people and explaining it in the power of the Holy Spirit as they're led by... You know, just crazy different than what we have here with our bound Bibles of the, of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Jewish Bible and the Christian Bible, all together. It's just a little different. But... That's where we are, and Paul writes this letter, and I'm just going to take a slice out of the letter and just focus on 10 verses, and actually I'm not going to focus on really but one of those verses, and then I'm going to move on to Mark 12 and Matthew 28. So um, you might have to turn a few pages today. We'll make you earn your, earn your keep here today. So Paul writes, chapter 2, starting in verse 1, two Christians in the city of Ephesus around A.D. 60. He says, as for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Let me just pause there and just kind of unpack this. Okay, so as for you, you guys, you Christians, you brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul's saying, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So if I'm driving down I-26, and I know it's, it's hard to imagine, but let's imagine I'm going more than 65, okay? I am transgressing the law. I am breaking the speed limit, okay? Which would mean I would be guilty of something, right? So when it says transgressions and sins, it's saying, it's saying that. It's saying that you spiritually have disobeyed God's law. I've disobeyed God's law. We've all done it. And, and the reason we've all transgressed God's law is because we're all born sinners. That's why we don't have to be taught how to sin, right? And so as a result, Paul's reminding these Christians, you used to be dead in your sins. Now, when we say dead, I want, he's using imagery here that's pretty graphic. He's saying, when you used to be a spiritual corpse... What can a corpse do? I mean, it's not even getting credit for lying there. It's not even trying to lie there. It's just, it's just lying there. It's dead, and it's just a corpse. And so spiritually, that means that I can do nothing. I have no power. I have no leverage. I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to offer. And we're all born into this world that way. The world won't tell you that. The world will say the opposite. The Bible teaches that we are born sinners. That's why we need a Savior, okay? And that unless God supernaturally intervenes into our lives, there's no hope for us, okay? But he did. He did. And Paul is writing to people who have experienced that when he says this. He says, you were dead in which you used to live when we used to live as transgressors of the law. When you follow the ways of this world, and we, we all are tempted to do that still, all right? But we used to do it without thinking before we knew Christ. And, and then he says, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Well, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's just another fancy way of saying Satan himself, okay? His effects 
all right? And then he says, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. What was the very first sin in the Garden of Eden? Anybody know? It was disobedience. They didn't, they disobeyed their parent. Use that with your kids. That's got some heavy leverage. All right. Just kidding. Actually. All right. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Whenever you and I give into temptation, we're gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Every single person on planet Earth, with the exception of Jesus Christ, all deserve the full wrath of God because we've sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God. That's the bad news, folks, and that is bad news for anyone who doesn't know the good news. But it is good to hear the bad news because you'll never receive the good news until you hear and believe the bad news, okay? You got that? Did you follow that? Because I don't think I can say it again. Okay, but verse 4, we see a swing, and Paul's going to give us some good news. But because of his great love for us, God, let me just stop there. This is who God is. God is love. God isn't just loving. God didn't just decide I'm going to be loving. He is love. And that's his motive for everything he does. His motive for creating us was love. His motive for rescuing us is love. I never told you the question we're answering. The question we're answering today is why did God save us? and yet leave us here. Why did God save us? I'm talking to the Christians in the room, people who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and are seeking to follow him. Why did he save us and then leave us here? That's the question we're answering. And we're going to get into the saving piece here in verses 6 through 10, and then I'm going to show you a little bit of why we're still here. But because of his great love for us, God's motive, God, who is rich in mercy, mercy is a kind of love, just like grace is a kind of a different flavor of love. They're both God's love. God, who is rich in mercy, made us, get this, alive with Christ. That's spiritual resurrection, which leads to physical resurrection in the future, okay? This is why I know that I'm not, when I go into the ground, that's just this old costume. I will get my new body one day, and I will live forever in a physical, real place with, with all the other brothers and sisters in Christ who do that, okay? I'm not going to be an angel floating on the crowds, crowd strumming a harp, okay? None of that, Okay? Real world, new heaven, new earth means similar to the old heaven and the old earth, but better, okay? And a new body means a body. It's just resurrected body, okay? So he says here, he's made us alive with Christ. He's talking about the spiritual birth that comes by grace through faith, which he's going to expound on right here. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. So our sins made us dead. Christ intervenes. By, this is mercy. We don't deserve it. We didn't initiate it. We didn't go, hey, I want to be set. No, we're dead. We're spiritual corpse. He rescues us through Christ when we're dead in transgressions. And then he says this, it is by grace you have been saved, period, which he's going to revisit. So it's by grace. That means, so grace is getting what you don't deserve, right? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We deserve God's wrath. What, what, do, what do we get that we didn't deserve? Life eternal and abundant. Verse 6, and God raised us up. Now, this is going to be a little strange verse here because of the tense. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That sounds like past tense. 
Anybody in here that can say that they know they've been raised already and seated with him in the heavenly realms? I mean, I haven't been there. Have you? Anybody? I mean, I'd love to know what it's like. No hands? Nobody's? Okay. Because it's future past tense. Yeah, I'm confused too. It means that Paul, speaking as from the future or as if he was in the future, is looking back and saying, your salvation that started when you said I do to Christ it will be finished one day and you'll be in his presence. But because salvation is not just an event, it's also a journey that will end with an event. He's speaking of it as, as, as if it's already happened. It's as good as happened, even though it hasn't completed. All right. So I've trusted Christ. I did back in 1983. All right. A college freshman. I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ at a concert thinking I went to a Christian concert thinking I was a Christian, came out a Christian. Go figure. I don't know. All my Christian friends were confused. So was I. And I wasn't happy either. But anyway, that's another story. So that day I was justified. Okay. That means that God declared me right with him for the first time ever because I surrendered my life to him. Confused, mad, all kinds of emotions were going through, but I know I was saved. All right. Then ever since then, I have been growing in practice in how I live out my life. Okay. That's called sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. I was declared right as if I was like Jesus, but I'm not. Hello, anybody that knows me knows better, right? I was made a saint even though I don't live like one, but I'm growing in sanctification. That's the process of being saved. So I've been saved, I'm being saved, and one day I'll go home and be with Jesus and I will be saved. Past, present, future. You see it? So that's why when you read through the New Testament, sometimes Paul will say you've been saved, sometimes he'll say you're being saved, and sometimes he says you're going to be saved, or he says something squirrely like this. That's the reason, because it's all three in one. All right. All right. So let's keep going. So verse six is confusing, but then he gives us in verse seven, why? In order that in the coming ages, God might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is, he's the one that makes all this happen, right? He makes it happen starting on the cross. Well, really starting and creating us in the first place. And then we rebel, and then he goes to the cross to make a way for us to get back to him. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is, a, it is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Faith. I don't muster up faith so that I can believe because then I get credit, right? If I exercise a gift he's given me, God gets credit. I mean, I'm cooperating, but God is the one who does this. He is the one who is working in me even now, okay? For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not, is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Because if I took credit, then I'm boasting, and then it's like I did it, and I didn't do it, I promise. Verse 9, we just finished. Verse 10, here's the verse I want to spend just a couple of minutes on, and then we're going to move on. For we are God's, I always learned workmanship, the old version, NIV, handiwork. Some say masterpiece. What are some others? What's the ESV say? Workmanship. Oh, okay. Check mark for ESV. What about NAS? What does NAS? Anybody have an NASB? Workmanship. workmanship? Wow, three votes for workmanship. What, all of this is based on a word. The reason I'm making a big deal about this is the word, the Greek word, which all the New Testament's written in Greek, most of it is written in Greek. The word is the word we get poem from, you know, poem, like poetry poem. And 
when you think of a poem, if you are into poetry and you value well-written poetry, you know that it's beautiful and it communicates amazing things in linguistically beautiful ways. So what is he saying? For you are God's poem. Okay, for some of you, may be like, I don't want to be a poem. I really don't like poetry. That's kind of me. Okay, think of the most beautiful song you've ever heard written. You love the music, you love the lyrics, it's powerful, it makes you cry. You are that on steroids for God. In his eyes, you're beautiful. Your life is a song with meaning to him, okay? You could, you, if you like paintings, you are the Mona Lisa of God. He loves you, he cherished you, he crafted you. All of that is just, all this idea of beautiful and treasured, you are a treasure. You go, well, I don't feel like a treasure. You know what? This is why we don't trust our feelings. Because it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. What is true is true, and God loves you, and he treasures you. Okay? So we are God's workmanship, God's handiwork, God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus, in, by, and for Christ Jesus, actually, Created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? He's going to tell us, isn't he? And this is the answer to our question. Why has God saved us? To do good works. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What's a good work? What kind of good works? Well, he gives a a qualifier or um, I'm not sure the phrase to say. The explainer of what kind of good works by saying the ones that God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if God's going to go to the trouble to give me good works to do, and he's going to prepare them in advance to do, that means this is probably a little more than something I would come up with, right? Better idea than I'm going to come up with. And it's not just that I couldn't come up with a good idea, but it means that when you do that good work, how you do it matters, the attitude in which you do it matters, and even the posture in which you do it matters. So it can be two people doing the exact same thing. They're both taking cookies to their neighbors. And one does it because they want their neighbors to like them. Because that's the only reason. They just want my, I just want my, no, actually, I'm taking it not so they'll like me. I just want them to, you know, maybe, maybe shoot their dogs. Because I'm tired of them barking all the time in the early morning, you know. Right? Does that sound like a good deed God prepared in advance for us to do? Probably not. But the other person takes a plate of cookies over there, having prayed for that family for opportunities to care for that family so that they might get the privilege of sharing the good news with that family, prayer, care, share, okay? That's a whole different mindset, right? You see how a good deed prepared by God looks different than a good deed prepared by me? Not that my neighbor has dogs that bark early in the morning often. Not that that ever happens, okay? Just saying. So God prepared. All right, now let's go to Mark 12, okay? So we got to flip backwards, close to Matthew, but it's after Matthew. And I could have gone to Matthew. Okay, y'all will be proud of me. I could have gotten the version, Matthew's version of this. It actually is a little better. But Mark, um, you know, he needs a little attention here. Starting in verse 28, Gospel of Matthew, another uh, one of the four biographies of Jesus, if you want to call them that. And Mark writes, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, he asked Jesus, 
of all the commandments, which is the most important? And you guys know, we've done Matthew, right? We know that every time Jesus gets a question, he almost always answers with a question. Not today. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's speaking of God is one. Verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Okay? Now, I like Matthew's ending a little better, which says the, all the law and the prophets hang on this. So I brought a hanger as a visual. Okay? So I want you to imagine that all the law and the prophets, just think of the Old Testament scriptures and all the rules, and I'm talking about the legitimate laws, all the laws and commands of God, just they're all hanging from this piece. And, and Jesus says in Matthew, here he says, in Mark he says, there's no commandment greater than these. So this is the greatest commandment. That's what this is representing. But he's saying um, that all the law and all the prophets hang on these two things. What are these two things? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love God, love people. Okay? Not some people. Not just the people you like. Not just the people who are going to love you back like including your enemies, okay? Now, you don't have to like them. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. You don't have to like your enemies, but you got to love them. Love your enemies. Love God. Love people, right? And all of these hang, all of these hang on those two commands, all right? So I hope you'll never see a clothes hanger the same way again, okay? Now, um, what the other thing I want you to, so that's, that's what Mark 12 is. That is called the great, it's a nickname, the great commandment. Okay, it's not, that's not a Bible verse. That's just a nickname, the great commandment, right? If you had to pick one, Jesus says, pick this one, which is really kind of like two. I think of it as two sides of the same coin. Now, go to flip backwards a little more to Matthew 28. And this is the great commission. And we talked about this at length last week, so I'm just reviewing really quickly. Jesus is giving final instructions to his disciples. Okay, so we're back to A.D. 30, right after the resurrection, a few days, maybe a week after, maybe a few weeks after the resurrection. And he's saying to his disciples as he has them gathered, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay, and I think this is verse 18. Therefore, in light of that authority, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he tells you how, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've, everything I've, ex I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you until the end of the age, okay? So that's the great, the nickname for that is the Great Commission. So we have the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, okay? So now, what's the question for the day? Why has God saved me and, I, and kept me here? It's because he wants us to share how they can understand and experience and share the great commandment and the great commission. Now, what's the best way to love God and love people? It's to exercise the great commission. It's to help people find Jesus because they're not looking for him, right? We're all looking for um, something, but we're not looking for God because we, the Bible says no one's looking for him. No one seeks after God, but God seeks after us. And we have a choice. How are we going to respond to that? Okay. One more verse. John 15, 16. Okay. So hang a right. Uh, page through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John is right after Luke. 
John 15, some of you will remember this passage that comes before it that says Jesus uses imagery and he says, I am the vine and you are the branches, talking to his disciples. We're still, we're at AD 30, but we're, we've gone back a few days, okay? We're before the resurrection, we're, before the, we're the night before the cross. So it's Thursday night and Jesus is doing some of his final teaching with his disciples and he teaches them, among other things, he says to them this statement. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, bear fruit that will last. Now, he's using imagery. He's not saying you got to squeeze out grapes that make your fingers shoot grapes like Spider-Man shoots webs. He's not saying that. He's saying fruit when what he's talking about is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is anything of God. You know, we can list love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, righteousness, witness, holiness, purity. All, you could just go through all the virtues and all the attributes of God, and you would be listing the things that we're to bear in our lives, meaning our lives should be visible expressions of God. We should be walking versions of Jesus, collectively and individually. All right? Why did God create, save us? Because he chose us and appointed us to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. What kind of good deeds? Fruit that will last. Deeds that ripple into eternity. Okay? What are we doing? Church, what are we doing? What has us so consumed in this world that is keeping us from doing that? That's the question we need to think about. And ask ourselves, okay? Well, you don't understand. I'm busy. Yeah, I know. We're all busy. Busy doing what? We have one life. We get one life. So what I want to do with the time I have left is just share some ways that we're trying as a church to encourage you in that direction. Here's why. Because... Um, I think some churches struggle with this by trying to do everything for you and then say, come help us do this, okay? All right, well, the biggest mega churches in America have learned that that's a really great way to create a back door. And when you, when you find people maturing in Christ, they get bored because you're, you're done and they're like, I don't know what to do now. And they just leave because you're not challenging them, okay? And then other churches are like, just go do it. And they don't provide any examples, they don't create any opportunities for people to do things together as an example of what we should all be doing all the time. And so those are kind of the two extremes. And what we're trying to do is be in between those so that we're an example. We're equipping you to do things in, in your daily life that are life-giving, that are bearing fruit that will last without doing it all. Okay, so let me give you some, some things that we're looking at that we've also already done and some of these things we haven't done yet, but we're looking to do. And, and then you can kind of react to that at some point, right? Because this isn't just me. This is your, your elders. We have five elder-led church. We have five, and we are, um, while we're five guys, we're not making burgers, although some of them can make some pretty good burgers. Okay, highly recommend. And we're wrestling with this all the time. We meet every week, and one of the things we do every week is we challenge the status quo because the status quo is usually not where we want to stay, right? We want to be growing, okay? So what are some of those things? Let me just, I'm going to roll through these all from memory. I don't remember them all, but I'll just, God will help me remember what's important. 
All right, so we, um, in the past year and a half, have, um, we've welcomed an Afghan refugee family into Charleston. They were already coming. They're coming legally. They're coming whether we do anything about it or not. And we were invited to help them get settled and become an independent family functioning well in Charleston, okay? And so we said, we'll take a family of, you know, five or six. And we, we uh, put them in a duplex. We furnished the duplex. The kitchen cabinets were full. The pantry was full when they arrived. Out of what, and they, months, they were living out of a bag with almost nothing. Okay? And we helped them get their driver's license and permit, and we helped them with English, and we're still teaching them English as a second language, and we helped them get jobs and, and take care of their kids and do all the medical and schools and all of that. And we've been doing that for the last 18 months, and it has been a beautiful experience for us. And I know that most of us have not been able to experience that personally because you can only, only so many people, right, can do that and not overwhelm. We've learned a lot doing that. We've made some mistakes and we've learned some things, but God has been very gracious and he, I feel like, is still continuing to lead us to do that some more. Maybe with a different partner, maybe not Lutheran services, maybe World Relief. But nevertheless, we feel like that might be something that we would do some more. And it, might, and it, and it could be any nationality, all right? It could be South Sudan is on the list, apparently. Uh, Latin America is on the list. It, it could be, who knows? The point is, one of the things Scripture teaches us to do is to welcome the stranger. So that's one example. And we don't have time frames on any of this yet. Similar, and it's something we have not yet done, but we're actually kind of wading into those waters as we speak, is sometimes you have a mom-to-be that ends up in a pregnancy center and decides to keep her child instead of abort, Okay. And the pregnancy center does a great job of helping them see why that's a good idea, and they help them with supplies, and they do this and that. And then they have the child. And at some point, and I don't know exactly when, and every pregnancy center is different, and every case is different. At some point, they say, see ya. Right? You're on your own. We've got others to... We're, we're, we're focused on making sure people make good decisions and keep their babies. Okay? But we don't want to forget that there's some pretty powerful reasons for why she considered not having that child in the first place, right? Like, I can't raise this child. I'm still a child. Like, I can't raise this child. I don't have a job. I can't afford childcare. There's no dad in the picture because he jetted as soon as he heard I was pregnant. There's no family support here because my family's so dysfunctional. They're going to do more harm than good. I could give you a long list, right? I already have. What about that? How does the church come alongside? Where does the church come alongside and help Right? And so we feel like we're supposed to be one of those. We can't do it for all of them. But we can do it for one. Okay? And so we're wading into those waters. Some of you are already doing this on a beautiful, in a beautiful way. Some of you are doing something similar to this called foster care. Some of you have done it. Some of you are doing it now. And you're taking in a child that's in crisis, and you're loving that child right where they are with no strings attached. And you're giving, giving, giving with really the only blessing is that God blesses you in the process of doing that, right? There's just, it's inconvenient on a number of levels, not to mention very stressful. And some of you have gone even further and you've adopted. And you're raising adopted children and you're making them your own, okay? These are things we want to continue to celebrate, 
and we want to empower, and we want to resource, and we want to get behind, okay? And there's lots of ways to do that, lots of ways to do that. So sometimes you find out about things like this just by getting to know your neighbors. We've talked about this in the past. Some of you remember when we gave out the, the yellow magnets that were square, and they had nine boxes, and your house was the box in the middle, and there were eight boxes around your house. And while not every neighborhood street looks like that, it, the idea was that you would know the names of your eight closest neighbors because it's really hard to obey the command, love your neighbor as yourself, if you don't even know their name. It's hard. You can do it, but it's hard. It gets really awkward if you don't start using their name after you keep running into them. And that's what we want to see happen all across this room throughout this church is that we would all do that on multiple levels, not only where we live, but where we work or go to school or where we play, spending those discretionary hours that we would take responsibility, not for the whole city individually, not even for our whole neighborhood, but maybe for the people who live right around us, and that we would prayer care share them, that we would pray for them by name, intentionally, that praying for opportunities to care for them when an obvious need emerges, and then that will open the door for us to share to th with them the truth of why we do it and what they can, be, what they can have through Jesus Christ. Well, it, Maybe you say, I don't really feel like I'm comfortable doing that. I don't know how to do that. So as a church, what we should do, I feel like, to model this is to say, well, who are our eight closest neighbors? And I don't mean our eight closest churches, but that would be legit, right? Like, let's actually know the names of the pastors of the eight closest churches, and maybe we can be a blessing to them. But I'm thinking more like um, right over in that neighborhood. Who lives over there? How can we pray for them? How can we love them? What about Frankie Lane runs right down over there? How about, how about Frankie Lane? Who lives there? How can we bless them? Okay, and so then we start prayer walking our streets. You're doing it at home in your neighborhood, but sometimes we meet up here in Sangaree or in Tall Pines, and we start walking the streets praying for people because we believe that God hears prayers and that that changes things. And it's not going to necessarily change everybody, but it's going to change somebody. Okay? And sometimes it's not just going to be in a neighborhood. Sometimes it's going to be even more public, like Hutchinson Square during the Sweet Tea Festival. Like we had a team that went out, and they just went and looked for folks that God would put, on, put in front of them, and they would share the good news. Folks, this is why we're here. This is why he saved us but hasn't taken us yet, because he still has work to do. We have children in our schools. Half of the children in our schools are not passing their reading and mathematics basic skills tests at third grade. Half. Now, I'm not very good at math, but I think I can handle third grade, second grade, and first grade math. I think I could tutor a kid. I think I could help a child read, even if it's me reading to them and giving them a love for reading. And we're all surrounded by schools. But we're not just surrounded by schools. You're surrounded by children. You have children in some of your neighborhoods, and you're getting to know them. It doesn't matter if they're impoverished or not. That child could use some help to learn, to love, to learn, to grow in that desire to learn. That should be the goal of education, just desiring to learn. Well, I can't do your neighbors because I don't know your neighbors. And only so many people that live near your neighbors do. So that kind of says something, doesn't it, about where you live right now. It says God's sovereignly working through your address. He's working through our church address. We're here for a reason. 
for a season maybe. So, you know, I could go, I mean, believe me, I could go on and on. The idea I think you get is that we don't just want to come and hear messages and sing a couple songs and go home. We're following a Lord Jesus that gave everything. He gave every moment of his entire life for 30-plus years, and then he gave his life literally at the end, spending it for us gladly for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Okay? He didn't want to suffer. He asked if there was any other way, take this cup and do it in another way. Father, yet not my will but yours be done. And he did that. So there's nothing that he could put in front of us to challenge us with that would challenge us to the core of who we are that's greater than that. So yes, doing these things is costly. It's costly in every way you can imagine. Just ask a foster parent. Just ask an adoptive parent. Right? It is unbelievable. Just ask a parent, right? Raising kids. So, so God is laying this in front of us, and as, and as elders, we're praying through, you know, we can't do everything, but we can do something. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. The, the other layer is that we're not just doing it here, and I, and I know the pushback, but we're going around the, around the globe too. It's around the corner and around the world, and we're ministering to children. You've seen in the last couple of weeks, we talked about the children in Uganda. We have two families sponsoring ministries in Africa. Hello. That's awesome. Moms and, and orphans are getting blessed because of, of you all are helping make that possible through them. We're going back to Curacao. We're praying about how and when, and we're hoping that that's going to work out, that we can do ministry there again. We've been there 10 times, but we haven't been in three years. It's time. We need to go. We have relationships there that we can build on just like they do in Uganda. So we're really kind of doubling down where we already have put boots on the ground, where we've already sent money and resources and prayers, and we're saying that's where God has us, that's where we're going to focus on, and maybe maybe we'll add another country in, that, in there. We've talked about Turkey, we've talked about Pakistan, but those two for sure, okay? Now, It's hard sometimes when you're new to a church to figure out how do I get plugged in, okay? So let me just see if I can't help those folks that are in the room because we doubled in size in the last couple of years. It's easy to find yourself having been coming for a year or two and maybe you're still not connecting, all right? So let me just finish with this. Um, relationships are the currency in which we do ministry. Relationship with God and relationship with people. Kind of goes with love God, love people, doesn't it? Not kind of right? And, and you want to earn trust and you want to earn the opportunities to serve, then you got to do life together. You got to be willing to trust and be vulnerable with people who are going to let you down, starting with me. We're going to let you down. I still think it's worth it. You know, in seminary, they used to teach pastors not to get close friends in their church. They used to teach that. That's disgusting. Because pastors were getting burned by having a close relationship with somebody on the elder board, and then that would get used against them because they would share their heart and their weaknesses and their struggles, and then that would get used and they would be cast away. And so there was this fear mindset. Well, by God's grace, I've never um, followed that counsel. And, and it has cost me sometimes, but it's worth it because the win is so much greater. Because you doing, you're really doing life. And when you go to a small group of any kind or flavor, it's scary. Because I'm like, I'm with all these people I don't know. And they, yeah, 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 and online, and this and that. And yeah, it's risky. It's worth it. 
And I recommend that you connect with people in groups, okay? Now, there are different kinds of groups, right? There's the groups that kind of around God's word, and some of them are more mission, and some of them are more disciple, and, and but then we have groups that are like teams that serve, right? When you're serving alongside of one another, you do build a bond. You do connect. And so there's that opportunity as well. But do anything but sit and watch, okay? We didn't buy new chairs so that you would sit there longer, right? We did them because the others were looking like spaghetti noodles, like a cat got a hold of them. They were that bad, okay? They were bad. And they didn't smell great either, okay? So... But, but it, you know, I, I, I love what Rick Warren says. He says, you don't measure a church's uh, capacity by their, by their seating capacity, but by their sending capacity. Are we sending people around the corner? Are we sending people around the world? That's our, that's our mission. That's why we're still here, because he's not done with us yet. Okay? And so what I'm asking you to do is to help us, okay, connect you. All right, we'll help you, but we can't do it for you. So there's a couple of things you can do that are really practical. One is that welcome card is your way to connect with us. If you want to get our attention, you give us a name and what you're talking about, what you need and a way to contact you. And you drop it in those offering bins there so that we can reach back out. Download the app, the Church Center app, and find us there and search and learn and research. The website's good, but the app is where it's at. Okay, that's, that's where all the insider information is. And when I say insiders, stuff that we just can't put out there for everybody, okay? It's just, we just can't do that, okay? And then just come up and talk to us and say, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? And we will work with you, and I can't promise you I'll give you something to do tomorrow, okay? I've got people on my mind right now that have already said this to me, and I haven't given them something yet. So I know that it takes time because it's, it's not just a switch we can flip. We have lots to do, but it's not just, hey, go do this, right? That said, if you want a job that this week without having to do anything but show up, where's Scott? Scott, is it Tuesday night or Wednesday morning? Wednesday morning? This week? Tuesday night at 6, 6.15, not 6.13, 6.15 in the building with your grubbies on, and we volunteer, volunteers clean this building every week. Is that not amazing? For years that's been happening. And they show up, and they love one another, and they pray with one another, but they clean this building and they pray as they do so, and it's a beautiful thing. And it happens every week, either on Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, and there's a schedule, okay? You can always show up and do that. In fact, they, they could use some more, okay? And I'm telling you, I've done it with them, and it is a joy to do it with them. It really is. So that's just an example. But folks, anything but just sitting and watching is, you know, all this college football that's going on, right? Most of the people at the game are in the stands, Okay? And I've done this at a game and said, look what we did. We won. I didn't do anything, especially watching it on TV. I had nothing to do with that. I wasn't on the, in the game. I didn't touch the ball. I didn't tackle someone. Right? And, and that's the way a lot of churches look, right? 20% of people do 80% of the work, you know, the old rule of thumb. I think we do a lot better here, to your credit and to God's glory. But the joy is in the giving. All right? No matter what it is you're giving, it is more blessed to give than receive. All right? So what I'd like to do now is pray, and then we're going to have our, our, our last song. And the way we do this is we offer the Lord's Supper as part of that. So who, who can celebrate the Lord's Supper? You don't have to be a member. 
uh, or of Grace Christian Fellowship. But you should be a Christian. You should be a follower of Christ in good standing, which means no unconfessed sin. So during this song, sometimes you have to maybe stand a little longer and pray because I, need, I have some things God's brought up. and I need to repent. That's good. That's healthy. That's life-giving. Because you want to walk out of here light as a feather, leaving your suitcases of guilt right at the foot of the cross. No reason to leave with those, okay? No reason at all, okay? And there may actually be some things you need to clean up in your life that as a result of that, it's like, I need to go apologize to so-and-so. I need to write a letter. I need to make things right, okay? Do that. That's part of the journey, okay? You may not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You may say, well, I've been to church. I know who Jesus is. That's not enough. You've got to decide whether or not you trust him. I, this stool has been sitting here this entire time, and I believe that the stool will hold me up. Is that stool holding me up? Is that stool holding me up? No, it's not, because I'm not trusting it. I believe, well, the devils believe that it can hold them up too. Or they believe it can hold me up, I should probably better say, better way to say. I don't think it'll hold them up. But until I sit on it, I'm not trusting it to hold me. And some of us approach God like that. We keep him at arm's length, and we believe that he's God and that he exists, but he's not really doing anything that is going to matter in this world, or at least not in my life. And so we don't trust him. We trust in ourselves. I got this. I've been doing this for 70 years. I got this. You know, you might not know what happens next. You might not have that. I'm asking you to sit on a stool and put your full weight on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. And he ought to know. And he gave his life to make that claim. He gave his life to say those truths. And there's a following that is two to three billion strong in our world right now, people who profess Christ, okay? And no, we're not doing a great job at it, but we are doing a job at it. We are doing good works and that will last by the grace of God. And I'm inviting you to join us in that great, great work. So let's pray. Lord, for someone in the room that, has, that realizes they've never sat on a stool and trusted you fully with their whole life, right now I pray that they would just do that. They would just decide right now and tell you in the silence of their heart and mind, I want to sit on the stool and trust you with my whole life. I want to take my feet completely off the ground and put the full weight of my future, my heaven, and my life in your hands because I believe you're good and I believe you're great. I believe you're able and that you care, and I'm resting in you for my future, even though my future is very uncertain. Lord, I pray that right now all over this room, people who have never done that would do that, People who are watching online who've never done it would do that right now. Lord, some of us have gotten off the stool. That doesn't mean we've lost our salvation, but we're acting as if we've forgotten that we sat on the stool in the first place. Help us to repent and believe too. Help us to repent of our sin. All of us need to do that and believe with our hearts not only that you raised Jesus from the dead, but that one day that will happen to us as well. And we rest in you, the one who calls us his masterpiece, his workmanship, his handiwork. 
Help us to rest in you knowing that you delight in working in and through us, that you've left us here to do good deeds that will last, good deeds that you have prepared in advance for us to do. May we answer the holy calling and receive and believe. And we ask that as we do this, you would get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.